For the last decade or more, I've made a daily habit of reading the obituaries. Perhaps it's because I'm aging, and as one ages, more people you know appear there. Um, Maybe it's because I just enjoy people's life stories. Uh, Most of you probably know, if you're from the area, that in the last several weeks, uh, two weeks ago, former Peoria Mayor Jim Maloof died, and the and the Journal Star uh, had like four pages or four issues worth of articles about him, featured his funeral procession, you know, prominently displayed on the front page, um, talking about his uh, tenure as the mayor. And there's another article on his big heart. Uh, it was pretty hard to to uh, live here in, in Peoria if you take the paper and not notice over the last couple of weeks the the uh, one of Peoria's patron saints, his life. His obituary, the actual obituary, appeared on um, Monday or Tuesday, the 22nd of January. I've outlined it in red here so you can see its prominence on the obituary page in the PJS. And um, I never met Jim Maloof, but my parents knew him. They are lifelong Peoria residents, and they reflected that he was as great a man in real life as was depicted in his uh, lengthy Obituary. He was warm and caring and generous and thoughtful, a, a, a real servant to this community. Conversely, most obituaries are rather short and cryptic. For instance, on the same page, Roger Russell, uh, age 74, of Chillicothe passed away. And you can read the vitals and the stats of who his survivors are. And then his life is summed up like this. Roger was retired from J.T. Fennell, where he worked for over 25 years. He was a member of the Chillicothe Sportsman's Club, the 15 Club in Lakin, and a former member of the Casting Club. He was an outdoorsman who loved to fish and hunt, was a devoted husband and father who will be dearly missed. That's it. Question for you. How would you like your obituary to read? How would we capture your life? Um, uh, you know, the odds are that uh, you won't beat death, as far as I know. Uh, no one's beat death. And unless Jesus personally, literally returns before we pass away, someone will write your obituary. And uh, I just, and I think, use the occasion to ask you, how would you like your life to be summarized? I would hope that, uh, in part, mine write, might read something like, well, he lived the life that he really wanted. We're concluding today the sermon series by that same title, How to Get the Life We Really Want. To date, we've said there are four foundational steps for following Jesus into the life that we really want. Experiencing a genuine relationship with God our Father, particularly through the disciplines of Scripture reading and prayer. Secondly, living in authentic community. Thirdly, living an outward-focused life as we compassionately extend His kingdom. Uh, to those around us through acts of love and mercy and power. And then, fourthly, embracing the good news of the kingdom and being water baptized. It's our conviction that when we fully follow Jesus in these ways, we'll experience an increased measure of love and significance and security, peace and joy and rest, the life that we really want. Today we're going to discover that Jesus invites his followers to live with an open hand and a generous heart. So let's pray together before we look at God's word.
Lord, we're grateful that at the start of this brand new week, we can give ourselves fully and completely to you, that this worship service would act as a token that we want our lives to fully count for you, our good and loving Father. Thank you for the gift of life, breath, soundness of mind. Thank you for the ability to gather together today. Thank you, Lord, for these great gifts. Each day is a gift from you, and we receive it with thankfulness. We welcome your presence here among us in the room right next door where our kids are learning and growing and worshiping as well. For our teens and youth, Lord, that are at a retreat today, that that today, this morning, would be the end cap of a powerful, life-changing weekend for them as well. We pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done here. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew's Gospel, the 19th chapter. If you have a Bible app, open it up. If you uh, don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one in a language you could actually read. They're, they're back at Guest Central. You could sneak back there. and It'd be our gift to you. Free to, feel free to take it. Uh, the text will also be on the screen. We're going to read a, an extended portion of the Bible uh, today, but I think it will be... Um, uh, Hopefully insightful and powerful. Matthew 19, we're going to begin reading in verse 16. Someone came to Jesus with this question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what's good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, You must not murder, must not commit adultery, you must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all these commandments, the young man replied. What else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away very sad, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth. It's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Well, then Peter said to him, well, we've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem the least important now will be the greatest then. So let's unpack this story just a little bit. Verse 16 says that someone came to Jesus with the question, Teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? Now the someone, according to Mark and Luke's account of this very same event, someone is a young, rich religious leader, and he's asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. Now, he's not asking, how do I go to heaven when I die? That question would have been absolutely, uh, completely foreign to his thinking. He rather 
wanted to know how to receive the kind of life that Jesus had been talking about. Now, the original word in the original language translated eternal life is the Greek zoe. You've probably heard that before. And we might translate it today, the fullness of life that belongs to God, life that is real and genuine, life that is active and vigorous, not so much the life that doesn't have an end that you receive when you die and go to heaven. It's not exactly what the man was asking. Jesus called the kind that kind of life in John 10, 10, uh, the rich and satisfying life of his kingdom. Um, other places he referred to it as the abundant life or the life that he that you have in more abundantly or the life to the full. I, I like to think of it just as real life, kingdom life. And so the rich young ruler is asking, how do I get that kind of life, that rich and satisfying real life, kingdom life? How do I get that? And Jesus replied that he must keep the commandments, to which the young man re- re- replied by inquiry, well, which one? because there's a lot of commandments. And so Jesus specified the last six of Moses' Ten Commandments, and he reiterated them. Um, Sometimes those are called the Second Table Commandments. They govern our relationships with people, as contrasted with the first four, the First Table Commandments that govern our relationship with God. The young man sincerely responded that he kept these commandments since he was young. And so here's a man of irreproachable moral character, but he keenly sensed that he has a need. He said, what else must I do? Perhaps he had some inner conviction or a growing gnawing sense or awareness that an outward and mechanical obedience to the law of Moses wasn't sufficient to get the real kind of life that he really wanted. So Jesus looked at him. And Mark's account adds that he loved him and then said in verse 21, if you want to be perfect or complete, mature, and you want to lack nothing, then go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then follow me. The text reads that the young man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great possessions. He was very rich. So Jesus saw deeply into the man's heart what his real need was. Um, The man saw more, um, you know, stuff and and security in his stuff than he he saw in significance in following Jesus. And so to part with Jesus uh, made him sorry, but to have parted with his stuff would have made him more sorrowful. And so he turned and walked away. And then Jesus turns to his uh, apostles and he applies the lesson that they've just observed. I tell you the truth, he said. Now, when Jesus says, verily, verily, I tell you the truth, or I, I tell you the truth, or more literally, amen, I tell you the truth. It wasn't because everything else that he said was not the truth. Uh, you know, those of us who are parents, you know, know when we're scolding our children. I'm not going to tell you <laughs> that kind of deal. He's saying this to arrest our attention to what follows. So he's like saying, like, really listen to this. I tell you the truth. It's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'll say it again. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
So Jesus is illustrating the nature of the difficulty or the impossibility by using the illustration of a camel and a suturing needle. Now, it is true that Jesus often employed metaphors and figures of speech in his communication, but I have a a conviction that here we're to take him literally. The modern popular interpretation that the eye of the needle refers to a small gate in the wall of the city through which, in order for a camel to pass, must get down, unload all the baggage, and crawl through on his knees, has absolutely no historical basis whatsoever. It's just not true. People use that as an explanation to show that Jesus didn't mean it was impossible, but just difficult. Not true. Uh, The point that Jesus is actually illustrating is utter impossibility. Now, he's not saying, as we might be casually equipped to read and and conclude, that rich people can't get into the kingdom. That's not the impossibility. Or that we all need, as in some kind of glorified Christianized socialism, need to sell everything we have and distribute everything. He's not. Those are two typical responses to, to this text. I think that he's pointing to what just happened with the rich young ruler, and he's teaching his disciples, that anyone with misplaced affections is going to miss the real life of the kingdom. That's the point. Anyone with misplaced affections is going to miss the real life, the rich and satisfying life of his kingdom. You can't enter the kingdom. That is, you can't experience its fullness. You're not going to receive the rich and satisfying life the eternal life, the God kind of quality of life, if your values and possessions are all mixed up. If you value your stuff and the privilege that comes with it over you, over following Jesus, you're not going to get real life. Now, it is true that in many cases, those that have a lot of possessions, those that are rich, have misplaced affections because it's more easy uh, it's easier to, to, to begin to trust your stuff than it is to trust Jesus. But Jesus wasn't saying that it is impossible for rich people to have real life. And that he wasn't saying that is proven in the reaction by the disciples because they're incredulous. They would have never thought of themselves as rich. And yet they are astounded. They're saying, well, then who can get in? Obviously, they're, they're pierced with conviction at the moment. What is that? Well, they clearly saw themselves as Jesus intended. They had misplaced values and affections. We all do. That's why this passage was so startling. The disciples clearly saw that, like, like all of us, we had hidden secret pockets of attitudes and values and choices that stand between us and fully following Jesus. This young man had them. So do we. And so they were busted. They were like, well, then who's going to get in? It's not just that the rich can't get in. It was like all of us. It's absolutely, utterly impossible, Jesus is saying. You're not going to experience real life if you're Values and affections get in the way of fully following Jesus, fully following him. And so then Jesus said, well, it's, it's not that, you know, God can do impossible things that we know that that's what it means to be God. But he says, rather, people can do impossible things with God. 
And it's as if Jesus is saying, if you really want the life that's real life, it's possible. You fully follow me. Well, then Peter acknowledges, well, we've left everything. You see, he's tracking with Jesus. And Jesus said, that's right. You have, and it's not just you, but anybody that's left house or land or brothers or sisters, mothers or father. If anybody leaves anything for the sake of the kingdom, you're going to receive now in this life a hundredfold. And in the life to come, real life, eternal life, that same word. When the world is made new, in the regeneration, literally, Jesus is saying, in the, in the new earth, the new heavens and new earth, you'll receive the, life, the fullness of life that is real life. Now, there are many, many, many applications to, to our life from this story, but I want to focus on uh, just a few, and, and, and really primarily one today, and that is that true followers of Jesus need to live with a generous heart and an open hand. This is the life into which the rich young ruler was invited by Jesus and chose to reject. This is a life into which Jesus invites all of us today, and it's a choice we have to make. A life of, of a generous heart and living with an open hand. Now, on other occasions, you've heard me say that everything we have comes as a gift from God, doesn't it? Everything. Not because we're entitled to it, but because he's gracious and good. Everything we have, our families, our health, our strength, our soundness of mind, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the vehicles we drive, the joy of friendships that we experience, the money in our checking account, the jobs through which we earn a living, the favor of God's presence in our church family, the ability to hope and dream and laugh and love, uh, the opportunity to grow through pain and difficulty. They're all free gifts uh, from the gracious hand of a good and loving God. And even the stuff that you've all worked really hard to earn, you know, a, a good grade, a master's degree, a, a, a home, a retirement account, uh, these are all gifts from God, too. And we've got to decide. Am I going to live with a closed fist, selfishly holding tightly on that which has come to me as a gift from God? Or... Am I going to have a generous heart and live with an open hand, freely giving as God directs me with the stuff that he's already given me? You see, in the, in the final analysis, we are just stewards or managers who get a little bit of stuff for a little bit of time and we're to manage it for God in our tenure on the earth. It's just like this. Everything's on loan to us, but we don't know the terms of the lease. The leaseholder, God, may decide that he wants it back or he may instruct us to give it away or just redirect some of those resources that he's loaned to us for a while. He's the owner. We're just the manager. And so the question is, are we going to fully follow him and take directions for management of the stuff from him? The invitation that the rich young ruler chose to walk away from. So are we going to choose closed fist or open hand, selfish heart or generous heart? Now, on other occasions, Jesus reinforced this fundamental principle of getting the life that we really want by f giving us four compelling reasons on why we should be 
generous givers. On one occasion in John 3.16, Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so everyone who believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. And so the first uh, compelling reason that Jesus gave us is that giving is an opportunity to become more like God. God's a giver. We're to grow to become more like God. That's part of our mission in the earth. And so if God's a giver, we should desire to grow to be a giver. Secondly, Jesus said giving is an opportunity to be free from anxiety and materialism. On one occasion, um, he said this, don't worry about these things, what we'll eat or drink or what we'll wear. These things dominate the, the thoughts of the unbeliever, but your father already knows all these things. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and to live rightly, then God, your father, will give you everything you need. On another occasion, Jesus said, beware and guard against every kind of greed because life isn't measured by what you own. Real life is not measured by how much stuff you have. Now, all of us know that, you know, this is one of the worst flu seasons on record, and doctors are encouraging us to get a flu shot as the antidote against the flu, right? Well, giving is the antivirus for materialism and greed. You give, and it will, it will, it will be the, the, the God-ordained preventative for your life getting caught in the suffocating grip of anxiety and materialism. Thirdly, Jesus said giving is an opportunity to actually receive financial blessing from God. In Luke, uh, Luke's gospel, the sixth chapter, Jesus said, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, making room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount you get back. And so Jesus was reinforcing this fundamental approach to the life that's real life by saying uh, it's an opportunity to receive financial blessing. And then fourthly, Jesus said, opportunity, uh, giving is an opportunity to invest for eternity. On one occasion in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on the earth where Moths eat them and rust destroys them and thieves can even break through and steal. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy, thieves can't break in and steal. You see, archaeologists tell us that many ancient cultures would often fill their tombs or their crypts with burial goods that they thought were necessary to sustain or carry them in the life to come. And Jesus is speaking into the culture and saying the only biblical manner in which you can actually lay up for yourself treasure for the life to come is to be generous in the life that is. The only biblical way you'll find to lay up treasure for the life to come is to be a generous giver now. Live with an open hand. So. In the shadow of these really clear and compelling opportunities, it, it, it's uh, over the years, I, I've observed two fairly universal things. First, people seldom think of themselves as rich, thereby excusing them from the responsibility of generosity. And people often overestimate 
just how generous they actually are. First of all, nearly everyone thinks the rich are people who make more than they do. Almost universally in this room, we all think that, that to be rich is to make more than what, whatever present level of income you have. Um, no doubt Donald thinks the same thing. But the reality is, in the first world, in America, we are all the rich. Nearly all of us in this room would fall into the category of the world's richest 20%, controlling 80% of the world's resources. Today, nearly a half of the people on this planet, over 3 billion people, have a net worth less than $10,000 and live on less than $4 a day. We are the rich. We certainly don't think of ourselves as rich, but by any standard around the world, we are. Secondly, most of us vastly overestimate how much we actually give away. We think we're way more generous than we really are. Pollster George Barna, uh, one of the most respected pollsters in the Christian um, sector, reports that on the average, the American church member will give just 2.58% of their annual income. 25% of people who identify themselves as Christians give nothing at all. And only five out of 100 Christians give a tithe, that is, give 10% of their income to the Lord. So, how might we overcome these two hurdles and more fully follow Jesus by living with a generous heart and an open hand? I'm going to suggest, as we wrap up today, uh, that we ask God to help us be people who live by his stewardship plan. Ask God for his help to be a person who lives by his stewardship plan of tithes and offerings. Ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to make one degree of change today. And just see if it doesn't change your life. My suggestion is based upon a picture of God's people that I see in the whole Bible and through church history, as well as Tina and my experience of the last 38 years as Christ followers. Let me unpack that just a little bit. The plan, as I see uh, God's stewardship uh, desires, is tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings were the pattern of God's people in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament times, God's people were required by the law of Moses to contribute at least a tenth, that is, uh, a tithe of their income to God's work. The tithe was an obligation for every Israelite, no exceptions. Its primary purpose was to support the Levitical tribe that actually uh, had no inheritance in the land. They were those that were chosen to minister in the in the um, tabernacle, and then later in the temple. They had no specific inheritance in the promised land. But in addition to the primary tithe, Israelites were also required to pay other tithes. For instance, in Deuteronomy 12, there is a second tithe. It was like a budgetary system to cover household expenses at the annual celebration of the three feasts. And then in Deuteronomy 14, we read about a third tithe. And this was 
an additional tithe paid to the Levites, to the strangers, the fatherless, and the widow. It might be called like a saint's relief fund. And with all of these tithes added together, it's estimated that the average Israelite's giving topped 20% every year. Not only did the Israelites tithe, but they also gave a number of offerings to the Lord through the course of the year. These included the burnt offering, the sin offering, regular offerings, free will offerings, vow offerings, sacrifices of thanksgiving offerings, and the offering of the first fruits. So tithes and offerings were the pattern for uh, God's people. It was the benchmark for generosity. Tithes and offerings were also the pattern of God's people in the early New Testament. In Matthew 23, Jesus seemed to encourage tithing to the religious leaders while denouncing their value of hypocrisy, that they would tell others what to do and not do it themselves. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in his letter to the uh, Corinthian church, the apostle Paul seemed to endorse tithing. And, And in this text, Paul uses the Mosaic law to establish the truth that ministers of the gospel, like the Levite Old Testament um, workers, were to be supported by the tithes of God's people. And it's my perspective that in the early church, believers were mostly converts from Judaism. And it was quite logical that these new Christians continued the historic pattern of relating to God and others through the tithe and offering. But we're under grace, you say. Absolutely true. My conviction is that it would be wrong to suppose that grace sets a lower standard than law because Jesus spent a lot of time reinterpreting law for the for the people. And he said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And in each of those cases, he elevated the standard of righteousness that that law set for those living under grace. It's not that you earn salvation by the new standard. It's that you demonstrate that you're really right by this new standard, elevated standard. So everywhere through the New Testament, God expects more from those of us that are under grace than those that were under law. Why? Because he knows that there is the enabling power of the Holy Spirit inside that will equip you to do what the law was powerless to do in your own strength. So in this sense, I look at tithing as as a a minimum benchmark uh, for those that are under grace. And then the book of Acts is replete with illustration that shows the early church gave offerings to saints and churches in need, to the poor, and to others. And so my suggestion is just that you ask God to move towards a lifestyle of generosity, a willing, generous heart, and an open hand expressed through tithes and offerings. Tithing is a a voluntary Systematic contribution of financial support to your local church where you give the first 10% of your gross income to God at your local church. My desire would, would be to see every person that calls Vineyard home ask God for grace to become a generous person expressed through tithing. Offerings are voluntary donations that are given at the Holy Spirit's direction as you follow Jesus to... Um, Anyone, anywhere, they they might be a local ministry, Southside Mission or somewhere else, missionaries that are are proclaiming the gospel around the world, maybe in the vineyard or outside from another sending church, a radio or a television ministry, the poor, 
uh, parachurch ministries, Youth for Christ, Athletes in Action, um, could be the Salvation Army or something else, or a, a worthy cause or just a random act of kindness, paying someone's bill at, at Steak and Shake in, a, in an anonymous way, a random act of kindness. Now, please understand that my encouragement today is not rooted in self-interest. You know, like you might be thinking, well, you know, Ben just wants the, you know, the offering bag to like go up, you know. The, let me, let me just assure you that, um, I, I'm not pitching so that our weekly offerings go up. Uh, God's been very faithful to meet the needs of the Peoria Vineyard from the day we started, quite frankly. From the day we signed the lease on this building and didn't have the money to pay for it. We, we've, we've been, he's been faithful. We have a board of directors that sets my salary and determines the budget for this church. And I've submitted to our board of directors, and quite frankly, uh, this message has nothing to do with the amount of money in the plate because it has much more to do with your heart before God. I desire to see our whole family move from bondage and lack to freedom and joy. I, I desire to see you move from anxiety to peace, from despair to joy and happiness, uh, from panic to rest, as you experience the life that's real life in God's kingdom. To respond to the invitation that Jesus was giving to the rich young ruler. You want to have life that's real life? Then, then don't have misplaced affections. Come and fully follow me. Take my direction for the stewardship of your stuff. So, if you want a life, the real life, uh, my suggestion is ask God for grace to move from wherever you are to have a generous heart and, and an open hand. And that's not to imply that many of you don't already have that, but, but to more fully follow Jesus in this way. Let me wrap up by just telling you a little bit of our story. From the very first year that, that we were married, Tina and I asked God to empower us to be people who live this way. We grew up in homes where our parents modeled uh, this this lifestyle, uh, not in an outward showy way, but uh, they were both uh, both of our parents were were modeling uh, a, a lifestyle of, of a generous heart and an open hand. And I know that because I snuck a peek at my dad's checkbook, and I was astounded at the kind of money that he and my mother gave away. Um, I observed the fruit that followed the lives of men and women who lived this way. And so early on in our marriage, we determined to be people who gave the first 10% of our budget to the local church and that we would give offerings to others as God directed. And through the years that meant we supported missionaries and um, we participated in our church's annual offering at Thanksgiving to give to poor the poor people in, in among us. We've given to single moms, Wycliffe Bible translators. We, we've helped build a, a, a Christian college in, in Moscow, Russia. We've worked with Project Amazon and planting churches on the, on the uh, Amazon River in Brazil. And the list is long. And, and I'm not saying, hey, look at us. I'm just illustrating that through the last 36 years of being married, this was the commitment that we'd made to God uh, regardless of our level of income. And I can assure you that there were a lot of other places that we could have used that 15 to 17% of our income every year. We had four children, a household budget on a modest pastor's salary, and there were a lot of things that screamed 
for that percentage of our income. But I can also assure you that having made that commitment and by God's grace being able to stick to it, for 36 years, we've seen God faithful to fulfill his promise to the church. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God will generously provide all you need. And you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And we've been able to pay, by God's grace, every bill of our life on time, even when we didn't have jobs, didn't have a clue where it was going to come from. Our van tires lasted 60,000 miles when they should have gone out at 30. Our washer and dryer that we, we bought when we were newlyweds lasted like 10 years longer than everybody else's. You know, um, we were just able to bless others. We were able to give a year's of our salary to a building project at our, at our church. Um, our kids went through college with no debt. I don't know how that happened. Uh, uh, we've just seen God's abundant provision. Jesus made those promises. Ben didn't make those promises. Jesus made the promises that I read to you today. It was Jesus' invitation that we said we want to sincerely follow. It's been a great joy. We've been relatively happy people. <laughs> now, we're, you know, we're married, and those of you who are married know the drill. You know, So we, we come back up for air, and then we make up, and... Generally speaking, we're happy people, right, dear? Um, okay, she says, yeah, okay, yeah. As we've tried to live life with a generous heart and an open hand, we've seen God's favor. Does it mean that if you tithe, every every problem and, and, and resistance to the enemy is going to go away? No, don't. I, I'm not over-promising. I'd rather, you know, under-promise and God over-deliver. But, but Jesus is inviting us into something much larger than many of us dare to believe. As we live life, that, that that's just spills outside the boundaries of prudence and propriety. As we just like are lavish in what we do, trusting him. It's all about trust, really, isn't it? It makes no sense in just a couple of minutes to take an offering. And you give in that offering hard-earned money that you've worked to get. It doesn't make any sense to give it away. But what it says, God, is, God I choose to trust you. I choose to, to, to not have misplaced affections. I choose to trust you. And so Jesus is inviting us in to the life that's real life, that's free from the grip that our culture wants you to have. Now, I understand that changing our belief system and our behaviors, creating new healthy habits, can be extremely challenging. And the thought of giving 10% of your budget to the Lord is absolutely blowing every circuit in some of your brains today. We understand it takes time. So ask God for one degree of change. Go from no giving to 1%. If you're at 1%, ask him for grace to move to 2. If you're at 2, ask him for grace to move to 5. If, if you already tithe, ask him for grace to move to give offerings. And if it takes you a year or two to get to where God wants you, that's okay. Don't, don't feel like an awkward pressure uh, here. I, I just want God's best for you. And, and stepping into this plan may take time. And so to help, uh, starting next uh, Monday night, we're going to give you some practical training that will help. If you notice in your program, uh, the next three Monday nights, the 11th, the 18th, and 25th, we're going to invite one of America's foremost experts on this subject, Dave Ramsey, to share with us his insights in three 30-minute video trainings on God's plan for stewardship. 
And then we're going to watch the DVD, and, and Elliot and I are going to help facilitate a discussion in examining our beliefs and behavior. We want to help you take steps towards the life that you really want. So we hope to see you on Monday night. God, we're just grateful that you didn't like just call us to a life and then, and then not give us the power to be able to change. You gave us the Holy Spirit to, to be able to say yes to you in this way. And, and God, I, I know that talking about money creates all kinds of issues for the church. And so I, I just pray honestly, Lord, that, that you would give every person here the grace to receive uh, what was really the intention behind this sermon. And the ability to say yes to you, not to Ben or, 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 or the Peoria Vineyard, but, but to say yes to you as we want to fully follow you. Put grace on us now, Lord, as we give and as we lift our heart and hand in song that we can more completely be the people uh, that you want us to be in your name. Amen.